Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. We have our returning wonderful functional medicine doctor, Dr. Gary Forsman of middlepathmedicine.com. Also the co uh, cohort with me on the paleothyroid solution has a wonderful Q&A with Dr. Forsman in the back of the book. And he's been on our show many times. This is breast health part two. We already did episode 140, which was breast health part one. We delved into a little bit of the background, but didn't get into the nitty gritty of diet diagnosis and treatment, et cetera. We're, we're doing this in two parts. Welcome to the show. Well, it's so good to be with you. So last time we talked a little bit about breast health, everything sort of a little bit of a philosophical discussion about how we see our breasts and this this uh, cancer movement, Susan B. Komen Foundation, you know, partnering up with YoPlay and some unhealthy <laughs> situations out there. But let's right. um, we'll spend this part going into a little bit more detail, I guess. Maybe we can top it off uh, and start it by maybe talking about some of the things we can do as well. We talked about nutrition in the last one, but let's talk about xenoestrogens and some of the other things that affect our breasts and promote cancer that we can stay away from, or maybe you can get into that. Right. And so we talked about this a little bit about how important the organic lifestyle is. And and right now, if you don't mind, I'd like to point everybody to middlepathmedicine.com. And there's a, power, a PowerPoint presentation on, on breast health. It's called Beyond the Ribbon. And it's, in my mind, it's a very good presentation. Even I did this in a, uh, locally recently. And, uh, you know, obviously my um, my editorialization regarding these slides does help in your understanding of them. Some of the slides are probably past what most people can understand, but we're talking about some very important things in here. And and one of the, the slides I bring up how important the xenoestrogenic burden is. Now, xenoestrogens for everybody out there are uh, – uh, chemicals in our environment that have actions that are estrogen-like, okay? And particularly plastics, but pesticides, flame retardants, so many things in our environment have estrogen-like activity. And when, when for so often, many doctors will point to none, no one xenoestrogen is associated with, uh, can be proved to cause breast cancer. And what this one group did is did a, a test that's not commercially available. So that's the first thing I want to, to point out is that even though it's not commercially available, they did the best preliminary research on the total xenoestrogenic burden, looking for all of these different xenoestrogens in breast cancer patients versus cohorts of people who do not have breast cancer and found that when you added up 
all these xenoestrogens together, you might have found the single greatest risk for, uh, for breast cancer, which is the total burden of all these things combined, which is why it's so important to have an organic lifestyle, whether it's plastics and cosmetics and the pesticides, et cetera, that you had a four to five fold increased risk of breast cancer at the highest level of exposure. And on, on these slides, by the way, there is a link to articles in, in PubMed, PubMed we've talked about already. PubMed is the, the you know our best source of research about these articles. And I use this thing called a PubMed ID number. So if you see these slides and see PMID, it beads means PubMed ID. So you go to pubmed.gov, you punch into the search bar these numbers, and these articles will come up for you. Some are full length and some, unfortunately, are only um, uh, abstracts. Um, but the PubMed ID lets you to see, lets you see this research. And I've done this for so many different things so that this is a very, I know it's a very doctor way of doing things, but I am a doctor. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but it, le it lets people look up the research because, and we've talked about this, Elle, so many people's ideas of research is going on to Google and looking at advertisements and and real research is to look at the the actual articles behind the um, behind what I'm saying to you because uh, it's so often people will accept what people say is true without researching it themselves and so and you know how important this is to me is don't don't necessarily have to accept what I say as true but please look at it as possibly true and do your own research but research doesn't mean googling it means going to the articles and looking for it and I don't know for me this is one of the most breakthrough articles is, is this one here which is looking at um, how you know and because at the last little blurb on this is that if xenoestrogens are the primary inducer by interacting with estrogen receptors and doing many different things, um, inducer of breast cancer, it gives us an answer to why there's one group of doctors out there treating breast cancer with estrogens called bioidentical estrogens and another group who are treating um, breast cancer with anti-estrogens. And if you think about that, and I know this is kind of geeky and I'm excited about this, obviously. I love that you're a geeky doctor. This is what we why I tell everyone on podcasts. I'm like, I don't know about you, but I want a doctor who geeks out on this stuff. Like, that's right. the kind of doctor I want. But I, I know I'm the only one that gets you know this excited about this stuff. But but if you think about it, it seems so inherently counterintuitive that you can treat breast cancer with certain forms of estrogens, okay? And you can treat breast cancer with anti-estrogens and you kind of go, whoa, that does not make sense. However, if you understand the primary role might be, and I don't know this as a, as a fact, but it makes biological sense to me, that you are now actually uh, disinhibiting, I'm sorry, you are getting in the way of the xenoestrogens, either with an estrogen or with an anti-estrogen, you're getting rid of the most toxic thing. And that's why something that seems like it's a completely different approach makes inherent sense how it can work. Uh, and for the audience out there, this seems, this is what's so confusing to doctors. They think estrogens, because this is, goes in, estrogens cause breast cancer. You know, that somehow the, the entire female body is made up of wrong things called estrogens and wrong things called estrogen receptors. And it's the doctor's job to get in the way of them. And, and it makes no sense because when we start talking about the current research from the New England Journal of Medicine and other, other articles, um, that the 
that many women who have even early stage breast cancers actually live longer than those who don't have them, okay? We're getting into this idea that, that your body's estrogens are somehow wrong for you, okay? And it's not true because there's this illusion. Um, many of the risk factors for breast cancer are early Early, and we talked some about some of these things, but we should re, reintroduce them, which is early menarche, which means starting your period early, late menopause, which means you know having later in life getting into going into menopause, not having children. All these things are are could be looked at as being excess estrogen exposure. Okay, um, however. It's the xenoestrogens in our environment. And when I say that, that's uh, exposure to too much light, and I have a uh, light at night, and that's an article on that. Too much shift work, women who are working at light, late at night and, and not uh, getting appropriate melatonin um, uh, surges. Uh, close uh, proximity to traffic, meaning living in, in traffic-dense areas. All these things are exposed, are associated with these xenoestrogens. And this is really important, everybody, which are responsible for causing all these phenomenon, meaning early period, early puberty, late menopause, because you're getting... Well, I want to back up a minute. Isn't also the early periods happening uh, due to soy formula, which I guess also then is estrogenic? Is that... There, there actually, there's a much greater link. The soy is, soy is still. We'll talk about soy in just a little bit, but but the probably the biggest link is this environmental toxicity, which causes a xenoestrogenic effect, meaning ex an excess estrogen effect, which is primarily the problem, not the woman's own estrogens. Now, don't get me wrong, the dovetailing into the soy thing, which is excess estrogen in the form of one one form of estrogen called estrone this is primarily in women who are obese so there is uh, you know extra women with extra weight create higher levels of estrogen in their body that can be somewhat toxic for them so there is some truth to your own natural estrogens being a part of the problem, some truth to it just a very little bit um, and then when you get to the other classic one there is the most of the studies on soy actually show probably because it also competes with these xenoestrogens as being protective for breast cancer, not causative. Okay, um, so there was actually one trial in the treatment of breast cancer showing that women who had breast cancer, the thing that could predict by far their best overall survival was the level of the soy phytosterols in their bloodstream, which is a better marker of how much soy they're eating than obviously just their dietary report. And so so on that order, I, I don't strongly recommend soy to people. I hope you understand that. But I don't think it's as bad as some people have made it out to be. And the phytoestrogen, because that's phyto just means plant people. So plant-derived estrogens actually probably compete with xenoestrogens. And in a fairly toxic world, are probably protective. So what happens, can you give a little synopsis of when a xenoestrogen, okay, let's say I use a lotion, right? That's one way we can all, you know, body lotions with parabens and things like that. Those are also, right, xenoestrogenic or, um, so, so let's say I'm lathering my body every day with this lotion that has all these chemicals in it. Tell us, like, what is that, how does it go into my body and affect my, me negatively? Like, does, you know, lock, locks into a receptor, competes with another? Can you explain that? 
Yeah, it, this goes into, you know, when we talk about um, women's hormones and how little doctors understand about that, because, you know, and, and as part of this presentation, I, you know, why do we have breast surgeons and not breastologists, right? You know, and so um, because the the main emphasis of, and I promise I'm answering your question, the main emphasis of medicine is how to cut the breast off, not how, not how to make it healthy, which is our, how do you make the woman healthy and how do you make the, the therefore the breast healthy too? And so, so when we're getting these xenoestrogens in our environment, and this is going to be past where most people want to go, but we have two basic receptors, estrogen receptor alpha, estrogen receptor beta. Beta receptors are actually probably, they slow the proliferation of breast tissue. Alpha receptors cause an increase in activity of the tissue excess proliferation. And if you have excess proliferation without uh, you know things that help your body correct that, you do increase your risk of, um, of breast cancer. And the xenoestrogens selectively work on the ER alpha, okay, and they cause excess tissue proliferation. And so, and it's not just any one exposure. It's not, you know, like in the future when we talk about the confusing things, like even for vaccines, it's not just one MMR vaccine that can lead to autism and other other disorders. It's the whole gamut of all of them. And nobody knows what the final straw is. And that's the point of this as well. If somebody says just parabens cause breast cancer, that's actually probably not true. It's the parabens and the phthalates and the fragrances and all these things together that have this kind of toxic soup for the breast. And as we talked about, the breast is this, you know, we joked about it too. It's this beautiful organ, you know, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great, great fan. Um, and so uh, um, that is this, you know, juxtaposition of, you know, active glandular tissue next to fatty deposits. So the breast really is the canary in the coal mine of toxicity. It truly is. And that's the best way of understanding it. And so it's the most sensitive tissue to these toxins, not that the rest of your body isn't sensitive to them as well. And that's when we eventually get to things like DCIS and early um, stage uh, uh, cancers is that, um, that, this is a warning sign to you that you have things going on in your environment. We need to be dealing with those sometimes more importantly than treating the cancer. Okay. Um, and so, so, so these xenoestrogens in our environment seem to be selective at activating and causing an imbalance in your body's little natural system of estrogen receptor alpha versus beta and activity versus uh, um, slowing it down, quiescence, um, uh, and and it throws our bodies off because they're they are abnormal estrogens, and our body doesn't quite know what to do with them. And of course, a woman's breast becomes the earliest sign of toxicity, and that's why early in life that can just show up as uh, you know these what appear to be these toxic estrogen versus progesterone imbalances. Because remember, progesterone is one of the healthiest natural progesterone is one of the healthiest hormones for a female breast. And for a female in general, okay, um, and so and that and progesterone is responsible for upregulating ER beta and these other factors. And if there's not enough progesterone around to counteract the toxic estrogens, that's another hormonal imbalance that will come about and and lead to an increased risk of breast cancer. So these these xenoestrogens, are particularly in for, that we get through our skin, are actually causing basic estrogenic imbalances that can show up as endometriosis, that can show up as fibrocystic breast disease and painful breasts and painful periods and all these other factors. And all these signs are early in life are a sign of a woman who is having particular issues with these, uh, probably more the xenoestrogen, 
xenoestrogens than with soy or than with um, um, her own natural estrogens. Okay. Well, I like how you say, you know, save the woman, not the tatas, right? Let's- Correct. <laughs> it's, it's really about, you know, that's, you know, as a, you know, I start off with this, the, the talk with, you know, and when I use the term misogyny in medicine, I know that, that many people use it appropriately, the term misogyny of hate, hatred of women. And I'm really talking about the mistreatment of women, which is another definition of misogyny. Um, and so, and why women are such a target and the I, I you know did the thing with the pink ribbon zinc and you understand that you're that women because you spend more money are such a huge target to be misinformed and leading to misaction under the guise of taking care of you so this whole thing with every pink ribbon out there and everything else there is really a, a ruse to try to get women to hurt themselves and to make a ton of money for all the people involved and I that's that is if that's at the very least mistreatment if not a form of hatred you know and so and and also women unfortunately buy into the hype and they start to think wow estrogen's bad for me when estrogen is one of the greatest advantages you have over women i actually do think it's part of the reason why a male oriented medical system is trying to get you guys convinced that estrogens are bad for you because it's it's like one of your one upsmanship it's one of your uh, secret abilities if you will you know um, that makes you essentially more powerful than us so so our entire our entire purpose is to misinform you and make you think estrogens are bad for you when it's not estrogen it's the xenoestrogens and the poor, and of course, when doctors give you hormone therapy, those are the wrong estrogens as well. Okay, and so you know, estrogens are one of your greatest strengths. Progesterone is one of your greatest strengths, but still today, so many women have bought the idea that their hormones are causing their cancers, and they need to rip off their breasts and rip off their ovaries. But that's a perfect example of of this kind of fear based thinking that we're trying to avoid because no, you're. The symphony of hormones that is is one of the hugest strengths of a woman, right? And it's your estrogens, your natural estrogens, primarily cause longer life, better health. Um, they just—it's such a an elegant system that it's easily thrown off by environmental factors. And of course, because women have higher levels of estrogen progesterone receptors, you guys have true true breasts um, that you guys are at greater risk from all of these things. And then somehow it's being sold to you that we actually need to, you know, that your estrogens are bad for you because they are estrogen receptors, usually not always, of course, on breast cancers. And that's such a, a huge form of misinformation. And again, I, I know hatred's an ugly word, but it is a form of so much misrepresentation of the truth to you, it's at the very least a form of mistreatment of women, which has been going on for a very long time, by the way. Um, and and again, I wish I could say I see a sign that it's getting better. <laughs> um, uh, and so that's why it's so important for everybody out there to, again, and, and whether you use my website and you look at this presentation and look at the PubMed articles, you start to get this understanding that it's environmental influences, not your body's hormones that cause this problem, especially when it comes to menopause. We could That's its own thing that so many women are being taught. I know I'm dovetailing off of your questions here, Elle, but no, there's so okay. many women being taught um, that – the uh, the you know hormone therapy is bad for them or that it causes cancer and that's so inaccurate it's 
as we, you've heard me say many times, all good lies have some truth to them. So the use of Premarin, which was the, the former estrogen we used in me- menopause, was, you know, is pregnant mirror urine. That's how it got its name. So if you use, you know, if you use horse piss, um, <laughs> um, wow, you, you don't get good results. And then the thing that's sold to the American women is because horse piss led to problems. Therefore, your estrogens are, are bad for you. That's actually not even scientific or logical, right? You yeah, know? no, that, that um, like violates <laughs> every philosophically logical <laughs> you know, proof but ever. Some, but somehow it works, you know, right? You know, and so, and that's why, you know, you, and that's why it's so difficult for people why I, I kind of try to get awareness out there because uh, the um, it's you can see it in our political system. It doesn't matter how much one candidate lies, people will still believe them. It, so facts don't seem to work. Um, and we want facts to work again. I mean, the, our scientific side should come come to the fore and actually care about these things. And so, so uh, and not be so easily duped by people who just you know, do rhetoric. And so, and it's true in medicine, not just true in politics, but they just, they just mirror each other so perfectly. So no, women's bodies are made extraordinarily well. Actually, for today's well at world, you guys have much greater potential to be healthy than we do. Okay. And part of it is the beautiful complexity of your hormones. And yes, sometimes in menopause, a woman's body doesn't do well without giving her bioidentical hormones. And no, the right form of hormones, you know, will not cause cancer and problems. They will actually make her healthy. Here's the big kicker, though. Not every woman has to be on hormones because that's not true either. And that, that, you know, in natural medicine, there's some doctors out there saying that as well. Um, it's just, it's, that you shouldn't fear any of the decisions. You should trust your bodies. Um, you know, when I prescribe hormones to women, I say, listen, you know, and I actually do say your breasts or your nipples are the best biomarker of whether you're getting too many estrogens in your body. And if I give you an estrogen, a bioidentical topical estrogen prescription, um, and you can listen to your body and you will find the right dosage if, and, and you can listen to your body about it. And your body is smarter than a saliva test a blood test or anything else natural yeah well well, let me ask you about that um so let's say so i guess you're meaning that if they for somehow the dosage was too high they would feel what a painful swelling uncomfortable like we do when we get fibrocystic or pmse yucky breasts is that what would be a symptom for someone taking too much estrogen Absolutely. Your, the, the, specifically, your nipples are the best biomarker of excess estrogens. Okay, and now so, how do we know that? What's up with that? What do you mean because, nipples? Well, I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> I mean, I know, I mean, I know the part of the body you're talking about, but like <laughs> you, in what you way? Have, like, you have access to them right now. Yeah, I know. Um, well, and, I'm looking at them right now. So how do I assess whether or not – I mean, no, but seriously, what is it about – what would we be looking just for? Those, those are the kind of our early – remember, I keep going back to this canary in the coal mine is if, if you have an imbalanced hormone specifically in the estrogen to progesterone ratio, your breasts will – you know, and not just a little fullness because many women in menopause, you know this, the breast tissue goes away, the breast turns of fat and all the other things that occur. So if you maintain healthy estrogens, you will actually maintain healthier breast tissue. You'll have more of it, okay? And subsequently speaking, if we're doing too much, however, you'll get, you know, the last thing you want in menopause is a woman looking for a bigger cup size or or breast tenderness or nipple tenderness. So nipple tenderness, especially breast tenderness, is a sign maybe I'm doing a little too much or I'm not doing enough progesterone. Um, And you can end up balancing natural progesterone. And one other side note, natural progesterone 
progesterone actually helps prevent breast cancer. It's the synthetic progestins, the unnatural ones that can cause breast cancer. So if your woman ever does a hormone, it should be a natural form of progesterone um, unless she's in one caveat to that, if you're looking for birth control pills, birth control pills of the synthetic progestins are what you need to to have birth control. Natural progesterone is actually one of your best fertility enhancers. So it's very important to understand there are differences between natural progesterone and synthetic progestins. Um, but especially what we're talking about is primarily bioidentical hormone therapy and menopause, where a woman has disabling symptoms, hot flushes, night sweats, um, mood swings, uh, you know, from joint pain, skin issues issues, all the things that can occur with menopause. If she's not doing healthy with menopause, then these hormones can be amazingly, like, just women just almost are crying, thanking you for giving you the right hormones because their doctors are afraid uh, because of Premarin was bad for them. Therefore, all estrogens are bad for them. And that's not true. But of course, anything that can help you can actually also cause harm too. That's true for every form of medicine, every supplement, every everything I've ever done. Okay. Um, so, can can an estrogen lead to an imbalance? And yes, some women are so sensitive that any dosage of even the right forms of estrogens will lead to breast tenderness and sometimes weight gain or increased appetite. And it's just a sign that they're not doing well with it. And their level of hormone, whether you use their bloodstream or saliva testing or the urine tests, will not help you identify who they are. So you actually have to learn to listen to yourself. And that's, you know how big I am on the cell. Well, it's the same with thyroid. We've talked about it before. Just because you have a patient who's got a 2.8 free T3, they might be doing well a little bit below mid-range, but other people are seriously hypo if they're not at the top of the range. It's just the per person, right? Correct. And and it gives you an idea when we do our thyroid hormone testing, get as many tests because thyroid hormones get you closer actually to the truth of the patient, but not not close enough because we have to look at everything like we've talked about. Um, but these estrogen tests and the testosterone tests and things that the doctors are doing from blood and saliva actually are just almost randomly associated with, with what the woman's symptoms are. So that's why we have to kind of get rid of some of the testing for right now. And actually the test is, is experientiality. And well, let me, again, let me, let me back up too. So, okay. What other symptoms aside from like, okay, so I used to have, I've talked about it before. I had fibrocystic breasts, painful breasts. I had excess fibrinogen in my body, excess fibrin. We did right. systemic enzyme therapy. My breasts have been perfect for a year. Amazing. My PMS is better. Clearly I had estrogen dominance and and some other things going on like inflammation. So that's great. So obviously that was a little bit of a warning sign, right? And I, I've imparted to people that I thought and chalked it up to, oh, maybe it's because I'm getting older. This is the way my personal hormones are and wrong. There's always a room for improvement there. What else would we notice or what are some other random symptoms of things that people, like if there's not a lump and, you know, something classic, are there something else people should be looking out for? In terms of breast cancer? Yeah, or, or in terms in of just breast okay. um, alerts, you know, like what breast would alerts, be a warning yeah. signs? You know, the for the most part, you know, this is goes into, you know, the, you know, the holistic intelligence that is the person, right? And so we, you know, make a big deal in today's world about left-brained intelligence, meaning deductive thinking, like classic, quote-unquote, male intelligence, right-brain intelligence, which is more um, visual, spatial, and those things. And holistic intelligence incorporates your left and right brain. I promise I'm answering your question, which is, for the most part, you know, I do recommend to women, if we get into the screening, do a monthly breast exam, okay? Not from a fear in... 
this is important understanding. I just did this with a lady yesterday. Um, I, with my patients, I often will have them monitor their blood pressure, but it's the thought of doing her blood pressure makes her so scared. I said, listen, forget about checking your blood pressure like I usually tell people. Just come into the office and we'll do it for you because the thought of her going home and doing her blood pressure is just too much for her. Some women feel the same way about the, the breast exam. And if you're one of those people, then I wouldn't do a breast exam because the last thing we want you to do is be focused on fear in the breasts, okay? The breasts are the, again, uh, again, I, I'm just, I think I'm a much bigger fan of breasts than most women are. Um, and and you guys are so afraid of them. And um, and whereas guys in general, we're just in wondrous awe. And <laughs> and so on that order, what you, so when you're examining yourself, sometimes you just feel disease. And no, what you're feeling is primarily your normal structure. So that monthly self-breast exam, which is take five minutes a month right after your period, or, or if you don't have periods, you can do it the first day of the month, but five five minutes a month right after your period, um, just lay down, spread the breast out, and just work in from the axilla, sorry, the armpit, and into the nipple, and just kind of do the whole spokes of the wheel, and just get to know and love your breast, because it's a wonderful organ, and it's a very important organ system, truly, okay, in terms of being biologically active and endocrinologically active. And know that it has lumps and bumps and enjoy it and and um, honor it for the lumps and bumps, bumps that are there. But the only way that you'll ever know if a, some bump is new is if you've been there before, right? And so, so from the standpoint of awareness, self-breast exam, because the breast does change and it can be, um, you know, confusing to your doctor too, by the way, because and it's so important when you do this. Uh, it's a, it's about self awareness and even sending love. You know how important I. You know. No, uh, I'm all from, about that. About Holding your breasts in your hands and sending yes, good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, further whether you've ever practiced Reiki or not, like me, or been a massage therapist, or all these other things, the the po- healing power of touch. So if you can do this and just send love to this amazingly wonderful organ while you're touching it, I think that's a healthy behavior. If you can't do it without fear, I probably wouldn't recommend doing it. If I go back to my doctor science side, is there a proof that doing self-breast examination improves breast cancer mortality? The answer is no, by the way. Um, Actually, most of the studies done by breast surgeons who make women afraid of their breasts show that all that doing repeated self-breast exam does is is um, lead to unnecessary surgeries and poor outcomes, okay? So it, what I just said to do a self-breast exam once a month is not a, a, um, a scientifically proven thing to do. I just know that in the right hand, so to speak, it's a wonderful thing to do. And so- Well, on that note, because honestly, I don't know that even I myself, as much as I were to be instructed, I've had gynecologists instruct me and show me how to do a breast exam. Frankly, I don't necessarily trust myself at it. So- then let's move on to detection because I know there's controversy there and all I'm told is that I go get a mammogram once a year and that's what I think I should do. So should I? What what do we do? So let's look at the the steps of breast cancer prevention because really what we talk about, all the other things on sites truly are prevention, whereas finding a lump early is early detection medicine, not really prevention. Right. right? Okay. Let's start with prevention. and so, well, the, in terms of this, the best form of prevention is, you know, is paleo lifestyle, organic lifestyle, minimizing xenoestrogens, not smoking, not doing shift work, all the things that we talked about last time and focus on in this presentation. If you get to early detection medicine, I really do think the only 
useful thing is self-breast exam because what you just said, Elle, is so perfect because they've done studies looking at physician breast exam. I promise I'm going to talk about mammogram, of course, um, but they look at physician breast exam, and this is physicians being studied. They know that there's a video camera watching them during the exam, and they've shown that pretty much 80 to 90% of physicians have no pattern to their breast exam. They're kind of like poking at it like it's, you know, back, you know, fun bags or something. And so so most doctors, you'd think they had a standard um, training and they do a standard breast exam the same way on each woman. And that's been shown to be completely untrue. So with another thing, going to your doctor for an annual breast exam has been shown to do nothing but lead to actually unnecessary surgery, unnecessary things everything without any improvement in breast cancer mortality. So do you need to get a breast exam from your doctor just because you have breasts? And the answer is no. You are the better person to determine what's the health of your own breast. Now, remember, this is screening once again. If you ever have a lump, please bring it to your doctor because now you're you're trying to, you know, you're not just doing the breast exam because it's one year. You're doing the exam because you're trying to figure out what's going on in there, right? So this early detection thing, this takes us to the to the mammogram and the mythology of the mammogram, which is so, um, you know, uh, promoted by the Susan Komen and the pink people. Um, and and uh, we did, we've had a lot of research over the last few years. And uh, I'm trying to get to which slide I talked to about in terms of all this. And so the, um, so as we go down stress management, and we talk about supplements. I'm talking about in my things, and, by, and sorry, early detection slash screening. So slide 23. So it's actually towards the end of the presentation. And I give the, the references, the PMID, including the recent one, especially from the New England Journal of Medicine that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And I want to point out, there are hundreds of re references proving that mammogram screening does not work possibly at any age okay and now um what all right well, i'm gonna i'm just gonna throw out a devil's advocate on that yes. well then what about all the people that have had a mammogram and they discovered breast cancer that way you know what i mean yeah, no, exactly and that's exactly what this study shows is and and let me correlate it to people with a prostate specific antigen for guys that's a blood test for guys is the biggest there's a lot of of um groups out there that say oh my gosh and trust me, the blood test for the prostate blood test has had the same issues as the mammogram for the um, uh, the woman with breast cancer. As we're finding more cancers with this blood test, but or we actually, because of the way we treat it, are we causing more death and, and morbidity um, because we're finding, quote unquote, insignificant cancers? Okay. This is a really important thing. That sounds like a weird thing to say. Hey, that sounds like um, a contradiction of terms right there. Insignificant doesn't it? It, cancer. Does. it really does because that's, well, that's this is the beauty of all this stuff, by the way, is we always think, you know, and and on and let let, let me actually take you to slide twenty three on, on on the presentation, and this is very important understanding because I actually knew the first statement, but until this recent article, I didn't know the last part that women with DCIS that's called precancer, by the way. So for lady, all the listeners out there, ductal carcinoma in situ, which is means abnormal cells within the breast ducts themselves that are precancerous. It's very important. It's, it's not an, uh, um, a nothing condition. But ductal carcinoma in situ um, wasn't selling well enough to, to women in terms of scaring you. So we started calling it 
stage zero breast cancer, okay? And, and, and if you understand that, stage zero breast cancer means it's not breast cancer. But as soon as you say breast cancer, you scare people into doing things they shouldn't. Just like when the guy has an abnormal prostate blood test and you put a, um, a needle into it and show that it's a fairly low-level cancer, he shouldn't do anything. But unfortunately, the doctors and everybody convince him to do something he shouldn't be doing. So the mammogram, so back to what you're talking about, the mammogram gives this illusion by finding so many extra cancers that would have not ever become significant. So this is important to hear. Women with ductal carcinoma in situ live longer than women who don't have ductal carcinoma in situ without any treatment whatsoever. So finding DCIS, which is you'll find is abnormal calcifications within the breast, does not predict early you know, uh, dying earlier. It predicts living longer. And the thing that I didn't know, which is that they've found that if you do long-term follow-up, women with even out treatment, if they have a cancer, a true cancer, by the way, less than one centimeter in size, they actually live longer than women who don't have that. So there is something going on where even though there seems to be something abnormal going on in the breast, there is the overall health of the woman is not being affected. And it's really important, everybody in the audience. This is it's so important. A woman with a breast cancer less than one centimeter will live longer without any treatment than a woman who doesn't have well, breast why? cancer. Why? Why? How? Why? Okay. Well, and that part of that is the, and this is the theory, by the way, is that because of the the toxicities of our treatments, we're actually killing more women than we're we're saving. Okay, and that's the the most likely issue is that, or at the very least, the amount of women we kill with our treatment is about equal to the women we sa- the amount we save. Okay, um, but and this goes into what you were asking about, which is unequivocally before the age of 50 screening mammography and let me step back a second screening mammography means you get a mammogram every year just because you have breasts okay diagnostic mammography is completely different meaning you find something and you want to do a mammogram to evaluate a lump okay that is not what we're talking about today it's very important yeah let's talk about this screening because now i'm feeling like oh it's unnecessary to get my breast x-rayed every year but then also there's this part of me it's dangerous right okay so then that also feels just coming from my perspective. So everything that I've socially constructed or heard that early detection, you must get the mammogram once a year. I'm scared into it. And so what do I do now? Just get my, have my breast checked manually by a gynecologist once a year, but then I might walk away because of the social construction on mammograms and go, did I do all that I could do? I think even though we're talking about this, I'm still scared and inclined to go get my yearly mammogram. Do you know what I mean? So how do I, how can I reckon that? That's, that's you going back to my first few slides. That is misogyny in medicine. Getting you to believe everything you just said is the horror of today's medicine. Okay. Because we have a technology. Well, I'm willing to buy that, but I'm also scared and feel like I should get my. <laughs> I know, but but what we're trying to treat right now is your fear, not not not. You see, because that's really what we're dealing with. The media in general is a misinformation process, and it's very important. Mark Twain said, and this is really important. So this has been going on for hundreds of years, um, it, even before Mark Twain, of course. And so uh, Mark Twain said that if you read the newspapers, you're misinformed. If you don't read the the newspapers, you're uninformed. And I can tell you that that was in the days of newspapers. So what we have today is the misinformation era. Okay, this is very important because your question leads us directly into why women are hurting themselves, okay, which is that they have been taught to be afraid of their breasts. They've been taught to not trust their womanhood. And we're trying to get 
at least I am, trying to get women to trust their womanhood and understand the strengths of their bodies and their breasts, etc. Because within your question, the the mat and again the mass media of all forms, by the way, okay, down to from women's magazines to TVs to online websites are misinformation websites, okay? Primarily, I'm not talking about Primal Blueprint here or anything. No, no, <laughs> um, I would so, agree. I mean, but, of course. You know, but it's primarily this force. And and why is that? Because of capitalism and women. Women are the spend 80% of the bucks. You are the best target to be misinformed so you'll go out and buy more stuff. In this case, you're buying mammography. You're buying the gynecologist. Um, you know, all those things. So your question was so perfect. So you have been, and the only way to sell drugs and mammograms is to make you afraid because fear sells, right? It's the way, how do we sell in the world? We sell through fear and we sell through sex, right? Um, and so, so nothing sexy about a mammogram. Nobody was, everybody would agree about that. So you have to make you afraid, right? You know? And so, so fear is the manipulatory factor, um, that the, all media uses to, um, to get women and men, of course, too, but you're just a bigger market to do things that are bad for yourself because it makes a lot of money. So it's this, your question is so perfect. So because within that, you said, well, should I see my gynecologist? Boop, 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 boop. No one should see a gynecologist unless they need gynecological surgery. Okay, because gyneco seriously, gynecologists are among the most misinformed about women's hormones. They have done more harm to women than any other group of doctors. They are not there to treat women; they are treat there to treat your organ systems. And and this is such an important understanding. They're the ones who did Premarin and Provera, um, and and this was. I think we talked about this before. When a woman had hormone therapy, it was so easy a gynecologist can do it. You could, you gave them horse piss if they didn't have a uterus. You gave them horse piss, known as Premarin, and Provera, a synthetic progestin known to cause heart attacks and cancer. Um, and if you if you had a uterus, because per, the Provera did prevent uterine cancer. Okay, so uh, so on that order, we gave this toxic soup, and today's gynecologists are still giving those same hormones less often, by the way, okay? Um, and that the very understanding that a gynecologist provides primary care for women is is roundly shown to be untrue. They are wonderful when you need surgery, when you need some form of gynecological intervention, if you need some in vitro fertilizations, all the other things that they do so wonderful. But today's gynecologist is a disease treater. They do not understand how to be preventive for well, women. What about pap smears, though? Is that you something? Get, I mean, that, but any, obviously, to, anyone can do you that. Can any doctor. Train a monkey to do a pap smear. I don't <laughs> necessarily recommend that. I can go to you. could go to chimpanzee R us and and get a pap smear. So you don't need a gynecologist for that. Any primary care doctor, naturopath, anybody can do pap smears. Right. I just wanted everyone to know you're not done. saying don't do that screening. Oh, obviously, no, you're just no, saying. You, and I agree with but, you about the gynecologist. For, when I was but growing, for heaven's sake, don't go to a gynecologist to get a pap smear because you're walking into the lion's den. You're essentially asking them. Uh, Honestly, to do a procedure or give you a drug you don't need or something else like that, it's really poor, poor medicine to not to go to a gynecologist as primary care. It's get referred to one if you have an abnormality that requires requires the specialist that is so important for medicine called a gynecologist. Okay, sorry. Um, well, no, and honestly, on that note, when I was growing up, and I remember my mother telling me this, and um, this goes back to the whole just misogyny of, you know, most back then, most of the gynecologists were men. And um, 
how overdone hysterectomies were for so long and probably still are, right. right? They're not looking at, you know, what could cause the problem here and how to treat it and possibly fix it naturally first. They go right to like, oh, well, there's a problem. Let's remove it. And so I realize there's so many overdone surgeries. And But, you know, again, I just, I, in my world, it's you go to the gynecologist once a year, you get the pap smear, and then they tell you and they give you the slip to go get the mammogram. And that's your right. once a year deal. So. Right. So you're saying is, that self-breast exam or a doctored breast exam that's manual is enough until you start to have symptoms and mammograms in and of themselves right. are harmful? See, all uh, – yes, actually. But no, even the physician breast exam, what I was saying earlier is doctors have no identifiable pattern to their breast exams, which means they are unable on screening exams to pick up on cancers at any rate better than what a woman can do. So do you need to go in for yearly breast exams? No, I highly discourage you because if you go in for breast exams, you'll get overdiagnosed, overtreated, and increase your mortality. <laughs> okay. So gosh, would I go do that? Of course not. Now, this goes back to the fear thing. Okay. Remember I was talking about the lady, if she's afraid of checking her blood pressure, she shouldn't do it. If you're afraid of not getting a breast exam, you should probably go get one because the fear is the driving thing here. Okay? I would agree one, with it, you on that because the fear is yeah. generating that mind-body connection right. too. So yeah. Right. So you have to listen to fear. Is fear logical? Fear, of course, is not logical by its very na- nature. It's it, it's not translogical, it's illogical. And they say false evidence all, appearing right. real, fear. Yeah, exactly. So when you go into the very questions you talked about, so is monthly self-breast exam proven, even though I do recommend it to women as a form of self-love and self-awareness, not as a tumor hunt every month. If you go in as a tumor hunt every month, please don't do it. If you're saying I do a breast exam every day, for heaven's sakes, don't do it. Um, <laughs> um, and so should I go in for yearly breast exams? No, that's not a proven thing. So please don't do it. Okay. And I used to do these things, by the way, people, I used to do yearly breast exams because I was taught to do it. And then when you look at the data, you go, oh my gosh, I'm hurting women. Um, and then, so same thing goes, do I go in for yearly mammograms? Now I do have a slide toward the, um, the end of the presentation, which, and I, and I admit, gosh, could I be wrong? Cause for instance, um, you know, right now, uh, I think Sweden is the only country that has stopped recommending any and all uh, mammography. Okay, um, and so because because of because they actually listen to science. So this is the funniest thing because in today's uh, I world, I want to interrupt talk- and say that that's very interesting because Sweden, I believe, yeah, they're also the first country whose government stood up and said we're we're doing paleo primal. <laughs> exactly, they're ahead of the curve because they're and honestly because they're smarter than America. And I, I know that I'm not doing that to, to upset everybody, but if you look at only any parameter of intelligence, they're outdoing us. And so now. Um, so on that order, so Sweden is the only country so far that has thrown out all mammography. Why is that? Okay, because if you look at the data from the New England Journal of Medicine, from the Cochrane database, from all the best research, we show that you know, and I the 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 one from the um, New England Journal of Medicine for every hundred thousand women screened over about a ten year period, you find about one hundred and thirty two extra small cancers, which will not cause an increase in mortality, and without finding any of the cancers that will cause, um, that will eventually go on to, to, to being life-threatening. So part of the reason being is that, that we're, as you know, we've long time ago, we went from being Newtonian uh, physics to more this, you know, quantum physics and beyond. And medicine is still in the old days of Newtonian physics. What I mean by that is we think linearly. Okay. So why is it the mammograms don't work, um, L? And the answer is because it's inherent 
inherently inaccurate. And that's why even thermograms have the same issues. Thermogram, everybody, is heat imaging, which is safer from a radiation perspective, but has probably even more problems in terms of lack of specificity than the mammogram. So because most cancers we have to actually start thinking about as potentially a systemic disease at onset. The, if you go back to the history of medicine, you're probably aware of this, L. We, the, the father of surgery in, in um, our country, Dr. Halstead, um, used to think, well, just a chance to cut is a chance to cure. And if a lumpectomy isn't enough, we'll do a mastectomy. If a mastectomy is enough, we'll do a radical mastectomy. And if a radical mastectomy is enough, if we're not getting treatment, we'll just cut out more and more of these poor women. And even for about 80 years, we knew that was inaccurate. And it was about 1984, the, the trial said, wow, this was a really bad thing to do to women. So why did we do this to women? And the answer you can come up with is not because of science. We did things because of an inaccurate perception of cancer that if you just cut out more stuff, and this is important because it takes us back to why mammograms fail. If you cut out more stuff, you will get better results. And it turns out that really wasn't true. Okay. And so um, why is that? Because many cancers, the ones that are most dangerous, actually can become metastatic at very small sizes, independent of whether a lymph node is positive or anything else, okay? And this is important to understand. The mammogram is based on the idea if we find something smaller, we'll have a better outcome. And they've actually shown that that isn't true. What you do is find cancers that probably never would have become anything because, yes, as it turns out, Certain prostate cancers will self-resolve. Certain breast cancers will self-resolve. You just would have never known about them if you hadn't done all these tests. So we find essentially a bunch of insignificant cancers, which of course don't feel insignificant when you the doctor tells you have cancer, right? I'm a doctor. I've been doing this for 30 years. Telling somebody you have cancer is a tough thing. Oh, you know I do that must be integrative. So you know I do integrative oncology, so I treat people with usually end-stage metastatic cancers. If there's anybody your audience will ever listen to that respects cancer more than me, I, I, I would love to find them because I, it's, it's going to be hard to find anybody. So what you're talking about, going back to the fear, is every one of us would love to have a way to make sure no woman, I got if I can't even express this enough to you, L. I don't ever want to have to treat breast cancer again, okay? It's horrible. I just, uh, the devastating illness to treat when it's metastatic. Uh. So, of course, I want to prevent it, okay? But here's the deal. We focus so much money on mammograms, which have been for decades shown to be almost useless. And when I say almost useless, the studies are very clear. If you are under 50 and you get screening mammography, you will die at a quite higher rate because of the mismanagement than if you didn't do mammography. The same thing happened. And that shouldn't sound weird to people. We know from the prostate blood test that we found that we did so much excess treatment at finding these early prostate cancers that we caused such a high rate of incontinence, impotence, at least morbidity, but it turns out higher mortality too, okay, for the insignificant cancers without necessarily picking up on the significant ones. And so, and I know that sounds challenging to people, but certain cancers, because of their nature, can be, they can be spread in the body at the time of surgery, which basically means if I do a mammogram and I find it early, if it's one of those cancers that spread already, finding it early didn't make any difference. Now, here's an important thing. With advances in Western medical therapy, the, the Herceptins, the things that target um, specific uh, abnormalities, targeted, it's called targeted chemotherapy, With even things like the drugs, the antiestrogens, there is enough 
improvements in, in treatment so that, that the overall improvement in breast cancer mortality, which has occurred, by the way, is probably coming more from advances in treatment than it is from early, the detect, early detection. And so the everything that's been sold to women, the yearly um, uh, physician exam, and most mammograms have been shown to lead to overtreatment of things that were never a problem and scarring women for life, living in fear of cancer. Um, it's just a horrible thing that we are doing. Now, I think there is enough evidence from my review of the literature is that that after the age, that if you screen women appropriately, before the age of 50, screening mammography, and remember, diagnostic mammography, I, I ordered a diagnostic mammogram on a 28-year-old the other day because of a lump, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Screening mammography, okay, um, before the age of 50, okay, is unequivocally associated with a shorter lifespan and all kinds of scarring from unnecessary diagnosis. And those are the women we would love to treat, find the women who have the breast cancer and 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 treat it and and safe because they have the most years of life to be saved, right? Unfortunately, we do not have adequate screening. So that's why the woman has to get out there, do true prevention, all the things we've talked about, organic lifestyle, paleo lifestyle, um, all the things we've talked about. That's true prevention anyways, okay? So that's what you do. You don't go to a gynecologist, you eat healthy, okay? Uh, <laughs> seriously, I, you know, and so, and that's, and you 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 have breast self-awareness. That will do more for you than any mammogram or any doctor examination can do. Unless you find something, go to a doctor you trust, of course. Then from the age of 50 to 60, the studies on mammography are really kind of all over the place in terms of is there some benefits? Here's the interesting thing. At the time that most women get completely tired of mammography, which is 60 and over, okay, um, that's when mammograms become useful, okay? I really do think that there is some benefit based upon the research, and I might be wrong, by the way, because the doctors of Sweden disagree with this, um, and so that mammography between, say, 60 and 80, depending on how healthy the woman is, um, is useful every two years. It minimizes radiation exposure. The natural history of the breast, by the way, is usually menopause is about 50. By 60, it's atrophied. The breast tissue's gone away. Essentially, we have, instead of a white screen of breast breast tissue, meaning when the x-ray, the mammogram is done, there's a white screen based upon the breast tissue because it's very tough to find specks of white on a white screen that by 60, the breast is turned to fat, therefore it is black on an x-ray. Now we're trying to find specks of, of early specks of cancer um, uh, on a black screen, which is much easier. So many women have been taught that their breasts you know, they're, they're, if they read their mammogram report that due to dense breasts, it decreases the sensitivity, and that's because it does, but that just means you have breasts, okay? And so, uh, and so, but after the age of 60, I do think there's enough evidence for screening mammography every two years. Um, this goes back to the question, should I do MRIs? Should I do these other things? The problem goes back to what I was saying earlier is that unfortunately cancer, these early detection things with, with this uh, very often will lead to overdiagnosis of fairly insignificant cancers leading to unnecessary surgeries. So when I go back to the DCIS thing, the today's horror, and I think it's, 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 it's worse than the poor radical mastectomies of the past, is we're taking women based on mammograms, and then a which leads to an ultrasound, which leads to a biopsy, um, and we get this diagnosis of DCIS, which means not cancer. We're now convincing women to get both, both breasts cut off um, when it's 
absolutely unequivocally been shown to be a horrible form of therapy. And so, and and how many decades will continue to do this wrong form of medicine will depend on how how long women fall for the very things, unfortunately, that you've fallen for, which is I I, I have to go get these things done. Um, and what we're trying to do is through education and through science, okay? Well, and you're also get- looked at as irresponsible if you don't too. There's that other element. It's not just the fear. It's that people, well, I mean, not that yeah, I care about what other people think, but there is that pressure of, well, I should be doing this. Everyone else is doing it, and I'm I'm a I'm a dumbass if I don't. Right. <laughs> you know. Unfortunately, the people who think you should do that it's just like the vaccine story. They do the same thing. If you don't vaccinate, you're just you're a dumbass. No, actually, if you look at the studies, you're the dumbass. And so, and I don't, you know, again, <laughs> right? No, you know, no, I agree. I real, that's a great way. I'm, yeah, let's spread love th- by ca- calling people dumbasses. But no, <laughs> I mean, because you remember, you know. Haters can out hate you, so we have to outlove them, right? <laughs> so, so, so on that order, um, you know, no, I mean, you you try to love the people who still think that you know vaccines are the greatest thing in the world or that mammograms are the greatest thing in the world. They're just entirely been preconditioned to believe something that is unequivocally, scientifically untrue. But people are very bad at letting go of the past. Okay. Well, we used to do mammograms. Well, again, there's, I still think there's some role for mammograms. Like I said, even though I might be wrong. Okay. And and maybe that's just my old doctor side of me that doesn't want to let go of them altogether. I'm talking about screening mammograms again. Um, we are not, it's very difficult to get screening MRIs covered. But the reason I don't even think that's right is because Many cancers, and I'm so sorry about this, everybody, the ones that are destined to be spread often are very small, and our screening tests that based on linear medicine, linear medicine once again means I'm going to do a test to find things that are small and therefore prevent breast cancer mortality, has actually been shown to be an inaccurate assumption. Some cancers actually spread very early on, and and subsequently speaking, they're a systemic disease. And as you can imagine, if a breast cancer is spread to other parts of the body, doing early lumpectomy, early mastectomy, or early sentinel lymph node dissections don't work because it's not a localized problem. Okay, And this is why we have to think of cancer as a systemic disease, meaning dealing with the imbalances because our body does have the ability to heal. And this is why what you do is so important now. I want you to emphasize that, that, that you know, getting out there and letting people know that the best way, um, you know, there's studies in, within breast cancer as well showing getting people to exercise is a better form of treatment of breast cancer than doing some of the drugs, okay? They're changing your diet and losing weight if you need to, obviously, is a better form of treatment because cancer is often a systemic disease. And if you treat the underlying reason, so this goes back to what, you know, how important this is to me. Don't just treat symptoms, treat etiologies, treat causes, okay? Um, And the cause is different for each woman. It's not the same disease in each woman. It really isn't, obviously. Well, and actually, Um, this is um, sort of applicable to my fibrocystic breast scenario. So let's say, so at that moment, I'm assuming there was some estrogen dominance. If I I had just gotten my hormones tested, perhaps it would look like they were out of whack, and then a gynecologist would just prescribe me some hormones to try to balance that versus look at the root of what is causing the fibrocystic breast. So again, we're getting back to the whole person and getting so you know if you feel like you've got breast issues go to a good anti-aging or functional medicine doctor who can look at the underlying themes behind what is igniting that because i gotta tell you my my pms and my breast health is a 180 difference than it was last year before we did look into these these things right you know and that's the thing remember i said early on 
test everything you can. So, you know, if you look at the things, vitamin D might be the single most important thing we can correct to prevent breast cancer. So you measure vitamin D, you take enough vitamin D to get um, your level to 70 to 90. It's really important, everybody. Enough D means most of my patients are closer to t- eight to 10,000 units of D a day, which most of their doctors keep on trying to convince them is wrong, which means what are they try- their doctors trying to do? Their doctors are trying to kill them. Now, when I say it that way, they don't know they're doing it. They're just afraid of vitamin D. They're not afraid of chemotherapy, but they are afraid of vitamin D. Fascinating. So if you start to look at the world and how people are afraid of vitamin D, but not chemotherapy, not ibuprofen, I mean, seriously, that same doctor will say, hey, it's for your fibrocystic breast. Why don't we uh, give you Advil or Aleve instead of doing vitamin D? And and what will they do? They'll cause be part of the 30,000 Americans that die every year because of ibuprofen. And how could you be afraid of vitamin D when you look at this? So once we get this perspective and you go, wow, there's a lot of bad preventive medicine advice from my doctor. I wonder if I should listen to them. And again, this gets into things. I'm not trying to get people to not love their doctors. Okay, what I'm saying is you need to understand when it comes to prevention, doctors in general are not trained. They actually think that breast cancer prevention is a mammogram, which of course, as we know, is unequivocally untrue. It's even bad at the early detection thing, let alone prevention. So, so yes, we've been horribly misinformed and, and doctors are afraid of vitamin D, which might be the most important nutrient in terms of protecting you and your breast and getting the right levels. The basis of the mammogram is to find calcific um, um, uh, inflammation in the breast, okay? Because as you know, mammogram is looking for calcium specs, right? And so, so this basic truth, as we get older, calcium starts going to places you don't want it, not to the places you do. So a woman who has osteoporosis, for instance, it, is being told to take high doses of calcium, which could be cancer-causing, because if calcium is going to places you don't want it and not to the places you do, taking a boatload more calcium actually is dangerous, okay? Because you haven't corrected the underlying distribution, which is vitamin D and vitamin K2. So, oh, we correct vitamin D, we correct K2. And what you're talking about, Elle, I hope everybody really understands, not every breast symptom is actually a hormone issue. It can be an inflammation issue. It can be a homocysteine issue. These wonderful breasts of yours, which are early warning systems, okay, are telling you there's an imbalance here. And our field of inquiry, our, and what I mean by field of inquiry, are what we have to look at goes beyond hormones. Of course, we look at our hormones. You know that, right? Um, but, but we know that the blood tests and things are not very accurate in detecting hormonal problems. Whereas when you look at inflammation markers, homocysteines for B vitamin metabolism, so many other things will give you the reason why the xenoestrogen or whatever is causing the problem, why it's causing more problems in that woman. And we treat early in life, okay? That's preventive medicine. And preventive medicine really is to see your functional medicine doctor or your naturopath who knows these things. Because remember, I'm not anti-gynecologist. Gynecologists are trained at doing the surgical and drug approach to medicine. Yahoo, I'm so glad they're there. Unfortunately, they sell themselves as being primary care for women, which is the exact opposite of the truth. They have, there's, if you look at the research, they are not there to treat women. They're to treat your organ systems, okay? Um, the reason they don't know about hormone therapy is for the longest time, you were pretty much a uterus to them. And let's, I mean, and let me even go back to that one. Still today, I, there's gynecologists in my community who are telling women, we should take your, if we're going to take your uterus out because of prolapse or some other benign condition, um, bleeding, whatever else, and there's reasons to take uteri, 
uteruses or whatever out, um, they'll tell you, oh, just take your ovaries out because there's nothing they can do but cause cancer, okay? And here's, here's the thing. That has been proven wrong for about two decades now. They've shown that women who have their uterus taken out for a benign condition, that's an important thing, um, and leave their ovaries in, they live longer than women who have their ovaries taken out. Okay, because the ovaries still have functions later in life. You have been taught that your uter- your your uterus is useless, your breasts are useless, your ovaries are useless. All of that is misogyny. Okay, and I'm sorry, but and it's still part of standard gynecological practice today. Um, and well, and I want to part too. Okay. I mean, this is what I was raised with as well, which is you know what? It's like do not let anyone take your insides unless it is absolutely one. You know, get five different opinions. Don't let somebody just remove your organs because that, like you said, overdone. Um, and often people have it happen, and then later on find out it didn't need to happen. Right. And they're actually taking out organs. Like in this case, well, since we're in there taking out your, your uterus, let's take out your ovaries too. And that is fundamentally inaccurate. But too many women believe it because they see a gynecologist who tell them so. Okay, And this goes back into why you don't go to gynecologists for primary care, because their training isn't good for it. But unfortunately, they speak on things they know not of. And, so, and that's why we don't want people going to someone who knows not what they do. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And now that you know that, that why would you go there? You would go to a gynecologist if you're referred by your, your primary care doctor for a gynecological issue that needs a certain drug past what they can do or a surgery past what they can do. Um, and that's why, thank heavens, we have gynecologists in the world. Um, but they're there for a specific purpose that is completely being misutilized because of the sales pitch to women go see a gynecologist, which is a step down the path towards being unhealthy. And so, um, and so on that order, that's why, again, this is why this kind of talk is so important. Mammograms, I do think, play a role after the age of 60. If it, and I don't want to ban them, by the way. I'm just saying is that it's a freedom of choice. If a woman feels, I can't sleep tonight because I'm going to get a ma- I want to get a mammogram. I have all kinds of women in my practice who get more mammograms than I think they should, but it's their right to do that, right? And unfortunately, they're making that choice based upon fear, which is you look at the world today and that's what most people are doing, right? Um, I'm doing it. I'm doing it based on fear. So yeah, I'm sure everyone else is. And of course, and but that's the reason you're afraid is because of, like I said, the misogyny of women. And that's why we have to get women to learn better, okay? Because a male-oriented doctor world and, a, and it goes into the our governmental systems and everything else are part of this misinformation war on you. And so, yes, in my th- almost 30 years of practice now, my patients have gone from being uninformed to being horribly, horribly misinformed, okay? And it makes it much more difficult to treat you guys. And so, and and of course, this is just the world today. And so, um, and so we just have to learn to, to, to function within it because the potential there is for healthy information. So, you know, and go to PubMed if you want to do actual research. Go to websites like myself or the functional medicine websites, um, Dr. Hyman. I mean, there's so many other good doctors that are looking into this and get healthy advice from doctors who really want to help you 
And I, I want to be clear, most standard Western MDs don't want to hurt you. They just do um, because their form of medicine isn't meant for prevention. They're there to treat you when you have severe diseases. And thank heavens, the surgeons of the world and all the other MDs are there for those purposes. But don't go into the lion's den until you're ready to, you know. And so um, and so for us, for prevention, no, the, the, unfortunately, there isn't a lot proven. Do I recommend yearly mammograms? No. I recommend every two years doing a mammogram after six even though probably the top thinkers in this area really think we should stop doing it because because of what I said earlier, many cancers at small sizes, the ones that were destined to become more severe, probably are severe at the time you diagnose them, almost at whatever size, okay? And making, and let's make that clear to our audience. That means if we found them at one centimeter or we found them at four centimeters, I'm sorry, four centimeters, like five centimeters is, is two inches. So no matter what size we found them on, they are at a, already at about an equal level of disease, and finding it early did not make any difference, okay? That's only true for certain cancers, not for most cancers, everybody. This is very important. However, the cancer that was never going to be a problem, the one centimeter one or the DCIS that we now have again, taken off sometimes both breasts or done unnecessary chemotherapies, radiation therapies, we have essentially, and and of course it won't come back because it was never going to come back to begin with unless we, and, and, unless we now have hurt you by doing radiation therapy and chemotherapy because the basic ways we treat cancer are fundamentally wrong, okay? And that goes into our whole, on our website, we have a whole thing on integrative cancer therapies and a lot of what we do in integrative oncology is to the, the selective use of chemo, the selective use of, of radiation therapy. But, but when it comes to treating, um, for instance, metastatic breast cancer, which is a very difficult disease to treat, by the way, there is a role for some of the forms of chemotherapy. Remember, there is a role for your oncologist. There is a role for your surgical oncologist. There is a role for the, the radiation oncologist. But like what you said today, people think you're dumb if you don't get those things. Actually, the majority of times, I don't like that word, but you're not smart if you actually do them. But just today's mythology, just, I mean, seriously, the, the, it's, it's fascinating to work, watch culture over time. I mean, the very bright person from Greek times who was worshiping at Apollo's, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, temple, um, they, th that wasn't very accurate, by the way. But they weren't dumb, okay? The belief system at the time was to worship Apollo's temple. Today, people worship at the White Coat, the Tertiary Care Medical Center. They want, they want to believe it's the best medicine has to offer. Oops. It's very rarely the best we have to offer. It's just, unfortunately, um, we believe in it. And, and this is where I go into belief is a wonderful thing, but it should be a belief should be a step towards understanding, which then should be a, a step towards knowingness. And most people get stuck at belief and they no longer evaluate their belief systems. And, and that's the problem is that people want to believe in mammography and all the evidence is there that they shouldn't be doing it. But the doctors believe in it too. Well, the high priests of the temple at Apollo were more they were more indoctrinated than you were. So, of course, when you went to Apollo's temple, they told you it was really good, okay? Now, um, just like if you went right now to a doctor who believes in mammograms, they would tell you how important it is, okay, because they, quote-unquote, believe in it. Well, unfortunately, this is not a belief system. This is actually tangible. We don't have to just believe in what the doctors say. We can actually look this stuff up ourselves and go, wow, that's actually inaccurate. Why does the priest 
I'm sorry, the priest is the doctor in this scenario. Um, why does the priest believe in it? Because they've been indoctrinated into believing in it. Oh, you know, and we can love them anyways. Okay, oh, so well, we just wrote a whole um, book on the indoctrination of <laughs> doctors exactly. and the that. uninformed it doctors. Go, and it goes way. You, you know this, Al, right? And and so it goes way beyond thyroid, though. Why does? Thank you. You. How did you forget that, Gary? Of course, we. I didn't really forget it, but um, the but you know, you were talking about the mistreatment. This this form of mistreatment is everywhere, whether it's cancer, thyroid, breast. It's just that we have a, a system of healing that is not a system of healing. You know this. We are a disease treatment um, organization. I'm talking about MDs now, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we're very bad, actually, at that treatment of disease most of the time because we start with drugs and surgery, and there's a lot of steps before drugs and surgery. Um, and so um, for most of the women out there, this they've been led to believe they need unnecessary procedures which lead to unnecessary drugs and surgery. Well, I have a question. So uh, maybe to uh, at the end here, let's talk about this notion of we hear this all the time in the media, the news, that somebody uh, got their genetic testing, said they had a 50 to 80% chance of breast cancer. They've got this breast cancer gene. They've got this gene. And so they go ahead and do this preventative mastectomy, hysterectomy. Can you touch on that? Because... You know, because in our conversation, it would seem like, oh, well, they're doing that way too early. That's unnecessary. Although, on the other hand, I guess there's that fear part. So if you could touch on that. Thank you. Uh, um, about 10% of breast cancers are primarily genetic and 90% are not. Okay. They're environmental, excuse me. And that's why I meant by it. They're not. And so the 90% environmental cancers are the ones we've been talking about all the time. What do we do about the women who have um, the, the BRCA genes? The BRCA genes, by the way, the BRCA genes are a loss of a tumor suppressor gene. So when you lose this tumor suppressor gene, you have a higher rate of cancers and it goes beyond breast cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, even pancreatic and, and prostate in men. So BRCA, BRCA, the loss of this one gene does increase your risk of cancer. Now, this is very important. The numbers that you're talking about in today's world, the lot having a, the the BRCA um, um, uh, gene, um, having this the the, mal- the the single nucleotide polymorphism, the abnormality in that gene. Um, so when we have that problem, uh, we are at higher risk of cancer. And in today's world, so that that risk of cancer used to be super high, say even 30 years ago, meaning 30 to 50 percent. But in today's world, it's closer to 80 percent. So what does that mean? that it used to be a really bad gene in the past. Now it's a really, really bad gene. And that's because the epigenetics, that the with all the environmental influences leading to, to breast cancer, the women who have that gene problem, the BRCA gene, um, will have, um, uh, have a, such a high rate of breast cancer that prophylactic mastectomy is what's recommended, right? Okay, and so, and sometimes oophorectomy, which I'm sorry, means taking your ovaries out. And so, and it's such a personal decision. So um, I've had good friends who've been through this, okay? Um, I've had patients who've gone through this, and I try to support them as much as you can. When you see the today's numbers, it's very, and and these are aggressive forms of cancers, by the way, um, and we know that screening doesn't work very well because of all the things we just talked about. It's very difficult to say, gosh, if I had that abnormality, would I opt towards doing mastectomy and, and 
and reconstruction um, and, uh, and think about having the ovaries removed. In today's world, I would think strongly as a woman if I had those problems. Okay, so okay. You, would be, you would be like, all right, I understand that decision yeah. to do that, and that might be a smart move considering uh, that particular scenario. Given that particular scenario. And so, uh, and, and as you know, our job as our doctors and our healers is to sit with our, the person in front of us, the patient, if you will, and say, listen, I, I don't know what I would do. Okay. If I were you, would I be as, as good about the organic lifestyle and everything else? Would I check in on my breast? But if I had an instinct that, no, I, I, I don't want to risk this because of this, this abnormal gene pattern, um, um, I, I would support the woman in doing that. And in today's world, there's so much toxicity you can't control. I, I can see why women do that. But I really can. And so, uh, and, you know, it's so, but that's a fairly unique scenario. Scenario. Uh, what we were talking about earlier about the women taking their breasts off because they had this DCAS diagnosis. I, that is one of the most, that is like. That sounds like an overdone, horrible, stupid decision to do it that. It is so horrible because it's not necessary and it's it's creating a disease that doesn't even exist to scare women to do the things that they shouldn't do. And of course, there's finances behind this. I mean, this is a big money industry. So why is everybody being scared into doing the things you're talking about? We're trying to get you entered down into a pathway where there's huge money to be made. It's, it's very easy stuff under the guise that we're helping you, right? You know, that's all we talked about you know why is uh the susan komen uh promoting uh you know your play well it's, that it's makes a good me so of- that makes me so that's just let, let's re- let's reiterate that one they're they're partnering with your play yogurt which is in plastic containers which has a ton of sugar and dairy i mean my God. And, and artificial sweeteners i mean it's breast cancer in a bottle so you know and 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 so and so why does the breast you know somebody who says they care about you you know partnering with breast cancer in a bottle well it's, it's because they really don't and they're just giving the illusion and everywhere i was watching a football game they had pink shoes on and pink everything it's this corporate movement to align with this thing that theoretically is meant to be helpful to you which is actually devastating women's health because it's taking their because this goes back to the original thing every woman has heard of breast cancer there's no more awareness needed about it what needs to have done is awareness of vitamin d awareness of selenium awareness of whole food nutrition awareness of 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 all the things that are truly important that honestly there's some lip service on their website about these things for the most part they're just promoting mammograms and trying to get you down the pathway where you get drugs and chemotherapy and things you don't need because it makes huge money for the true sponsors of those organizations. And that's not paranoia. It might sound that way. That's just fact, okay? And so, uh, and and unfortunately, really, we're taking our eye off the ball. That's why I talk about the difference between awareness and misawareness, action versus misaction. So the action to take, if you care about women, is to promote their health, to promote the beauty of the breast, to promote the I'm talking about the actual breast, not breast surgery here. Um, um, the and promote this understanding that wow, this is a, a complex organ system. It's an amazing thing. How beautiful a breast is! How beautiful women are of every shape and size. Starting to honor that side of themselves and not live in fear that their breasts are there's just there to become cancer. Because that's unfortunately what this uh, that organization is about, which is trying to make you feel like you're a disease waiting to happen. Go get mammograms because your breasts are just a disease waiting to happen. And that is farcical and not past farcical. It's dangerous, you know, right. and so we have an entire and it's kind of bordering malintent. 
<laughs> it, it's it's you know that's why it's a difficult thing is it just ignorance or is it flat out maliciousness and I, and it's probably a little bit of both actually because the data is there that they shouldn't have been doing this for the longest time you know it would be like you know i know they don't partner with you know cigarette companies but you know they might as well because yo play is the same you know it's it's that silly of a of a um, um a sponsorship okay and so um and so but they everybody at least knows that smoking isn't good for them right and so um but but they don't understand that you know yo play is breast cancer in a bottle and so and i again let's not pick on poor yo play there's so many other sugar-based and artificial sweetener-based yogurts out there that aren't yo play you know i was telling somebody the other day what's worse for you the the yo play gogurt or an otter pop you know and it's like wow <laughs> you know they're both not good for you so you know so on that order it's it's you know or taco bell or all the other things of processed foods and all the things we work so hard at, at the you know primal found you know blueprint and paleo all these things are so important for people to understand because that if we take our attention to being healthy, that's a much greater use of our awareness, our energy, our money than going to to spend money on on these tools, these mammograms, and these other things because that's really just fear based thinking. And because we know that it's also linear, it's very Newtonian, it's not progressive at all. It's old school medicine, and then we're focusing on something that pretty much scientifically cannot work, okay? Um, that's where I'm trying. So why, what about thermograms and sedna? It's like people don't understand. You're not listening. It's that the, the the basic nature of cancer, we're not picking up on things by doing this and preventing and preventing overall breast cancer mortality, and especially younger age groups, because of, especially if we go towards the radiation and the mammograms, we're actually probably causing many cancers. So, so on that order, the mythology, and they said people don't like it when I compare it to worshiping at Apollo, but those are very bright people. We're worshiping at the the altar of of western medicine and unfortunately it is really breaking down for people um which isn't bad it can lead to changes where we integrate western medicine exactly where it should be holistic medicine means all forms of healing western medicine is a part actually a fairly small part of true healing okay right and you made you made the point in um, our book that you know if you go to see you're really looking when you're going to see a standard md or your regular hmo doctor not a functional or integrative doctor you are you're really you're seeing a prescriptionist you're you know there's that you what do you expect that you're going to get you're not going to get nutritional help you're not going to have them do in-depth testing and try to look at underlying causative factors of problems right and and because that's what they do and and again we should honor you don't go to whatever altar and not expect to get what you know is your what you're getting so when we walk into an md's office we're not looking for healing we're not look, we're looking for a prescription because that's what your doctor does and so I, trying to make that right or wrong is the problem okay so so if i if you're going to your md today you're asking for a prescription or a surgery or whatever it is you're going for that's actually what you're asking for and then that's what they feel obliged to give you because they are prescriptionists just like if you walk into your chiropractor's office they actually think you want an adjustment not just to talk right um they're a little <laughs> bit better at listening to you mind you but um but you know and all these other things so why would we bother you know the nature of the beast that's in front of us and so um so it's important 
important for everybody to understand is that, yes, I mean, the breast health is so important. And there is a role, certainly, for diagnostic mammography, diagnostic ultrasounds, diagnostic MRIs. There's a role for our gynecologists and for our breast surgeons. Um, there is absolutely a role for them. But if we really are interested in prevention, we're going to take on a, a, a primal lifestyle, okay? What about, I, I would love to... Um yeah, primal paleo for so many mm-hmm. variety of right. reasons, mostly right. anti-inflammatory, all the other things. It's eliminating right. all the junk. I want right. to just get into smoking and drinking really quick. Obviously, we know both right. are bad for you and both are inflammatory. Um, so this is my thought or my assessment on alcohol. So, you know, it was touted for the very long time that one or two glasses a day was good for you. Well, and I think a lot of people use that as an excuse to just uh, hammer down some wine. And then it said that, you know, even women who drink one glass a day increase their chances of breast cancer by 40%. Something actually I kind of uh, would buy that um, based on what I know about alcohol. So let's talk about that because um, obviously smoking is obvious, but can right. you get into alcohol and smoking? Sure. Because it's so, on, to me, on, so inflammatory, on, so I don't know on, how it could be good. <laughs> well, on on slide eight, I talk about this. And unfortunately, this is another area you're, you're unfortunately – sorry, Al, because you know I love you. You're just woefully misinformed, okay? No, um, great. I'd love because, to hear. Because actually, if you look at – there's uh, and this is very important. There's this huge cohort that I don't even mention in this one slide um, called the European Prevention and Intervention in Cancer, and it's it's like a, it's a long-term trial looking at what are the healthy behaviors that we can do. Okay, now remember they focus on these things. What are the things that really do help promote longevity, promote health and happiness? Okay, and the four behaviors that have been shown to be important are number one, not smoking. Number two having an active lifestyle. Active lifestyle was defined in these trials as the equivalent of walking a half an hour a day or more, okay? Um, Number three was having a Mediterranean diet. Now, remember, I'm not saying you have to have a Mediterranean diet, but having a Mediterranean diet versus other forms of diets, okay? And number four, the next four, as important as not smoking in your life, is drinking alcohol, okay? That's how much of a benefit in overall health and and, and decrease in mortality alcohol provides you because alcohol, if anything, is anti-inflammatory. Now, when I say that, that's overall, okay? So it was very interesting because it's the it's America's puritanical lifestyle that they equate. Often they say smoking and drinking together like they have anything to any relationship to each other other than in bar situations, right? Um, so right, smoking, but alcohol can't – I mean alcohol is not a good thing. Ethanol, right? That's a toxic – Alcohol is an enormously powerfully good thing, by the way, okay? Um, it is actually one of the healthiest substances known of all time next to coffee, okay? Um, so, so what are the two probably scientifically most proven healthy substances, coffee and alcohol, okay? And there's huge data on this showing that coffee drinking versus not coffee drinking is probably one of those powerfully healthy things you can do. Now, and I'll take it right back to alcohol in just a second. Do we all know people who can't drink coffee? Of course we do. They drink coffee and they're wired for sound and it it causes problems for them or upsets their stomach. So of course, like any intervention, remember we said earlier, anything that can help you can hurt you too. So you don't take the data on, let's start with coffee actually. Let's, you don't take the data on coffee and, and say, gosh, uh, even though it makes upsets my stomach, I should drink coffee anyway. That's, that's wrong. However, there's so many people out there that say coffee's bad for you. It causes all these things. 
that is so scientifically inaccurate, it's almost farcical. And so, 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 so many people out there are cutting coffee out of their lifestyle, not based upon their own body. Remember, this is experiential awareness, okay? But based upon wrong information. Remember how I said it's the misinformation era? And so, so the misinformation era tells people that coffee's bad for them. It's probably because it feels good and we have a puritanical country and they don't like anything that feels good, okay? So we have so many people, that's the only reason I can come up why people still say this. However, it's partly true because we all know people who drink coffee and feel badly ill. So they shouldn't drink coffee because the studies say it's good for them. They should listen to their body, not the studies. The biggest issue is the people who don't drink it because it's bad for them because that's unequivocally untrue. From my liver health and brain health, it is probably the single most important thing you can do. Back to the alcohol. It's unequivocal. Like, for instance, the uh, the study that I quote on, on uh, in in the alcohol literature, it goes into, um, if you look at the previous slide, which is number seven, the Mediterranean diet with no restriction on fat, okay, lowers risk of cardiovascular events by 29%, diabetes by 30%, and breast cancer by 57%. This is, by the way, in the Annals of Internal Medicine, one of our big internal medicine journals just in July, okay? So now, on that order, the Mediterranean diet is pretty gives a lot of recommends a lot of wine and other things along with other very healthy things. Okay, right, but let's uh, let's okay, but then I guess we'd have to differentiate between the quality of the alcohol because we're talking about dyes and sulfates there and you sugar. Go. So okay, so, so if so you're doing a clean a dry farms wines or vodka right. straight up, that's clean. That's correct, but actually it is. But un- but realistically speaking, there is. The, the when it comes to and this is it like, you really need to hear this that kind of diet and there's so many of the studies that show something on the order of even 30 or 40 percent reductions of cardiovascular events just by drinking any form of alcohol because no alcohol is actually an anti-inflammatory at low doses okay right. now, so what's remember, low doses every, let's talk about everybody that. <laughs> has a different sensitivity i know l and and i know but this is one of those things where we have to be careful just because I, I give this example to you. I do horribly with black beans. It causes all kinds of inflammatory reactions in my body. So I don't eat black beans for that reason. But I'm not trying to get the whole world not to eat black beans. It's just one of those things that can cause this. Same thing goes. Some people just drink alcohol. And of course, they're ob- the obvious things. If you're an alcoholic and you can't have one glass of wine, it always leads to the, you know, whatever, the, the bottles, then don't start. I mean, obviously, People without alcohol issues shouldn't, if you drink and drive, you shouldn't be doing this. Now, what we're talking about is, and this goes back into, this goes into our enculturation, okay? For some reason, alcohol seems to be so much better for Europeans and Americans, okay? Um, and, And why is that? Because they don't live in fear of alcohol. Okay, I I, I don't can't scientifically prove that one, but I am I'm absolutely convinced of this. It's a part of the culture. It's not looked at as being bad as as you do. So if you look at it as being bad, you shouldn't do it all. And that's true for any listener out there. If you look at it as being bad, your enculturation, whether it's accurate or not, is irrelevant. We talked about well, well, no, no, it's not my it's not my philosophical uh, view upon it. It's the way that it makes me feel. Yeah, and that's you personally, right? Literally, so that's just, just like literally people, me personally. Black, I cannot, I do not you, like it, yeah. And you personally just don't do well with alcohol. For heaven's sakes, Elle, you know I would tell you not to drink, right? You personally, right? Um, because you don't do well with it. For heaven's sakes, please, I'm not asking you to start drinking. Um, that's not my point. Well, no, right? but I guess I, I think people However, abuse this whole alcohol is good for you, and then they overdo it. That's what well, I'm kind of getting that, at. 
the whole thing. Can you be a conscious drinker? And the answer is yes. Do most people do it consciously? Probably not. You know, and so and why is that? Because of the taboos in our society. We grow up thinking it's bad. We went through prohibition in our country. It's the same reason people think cannabis is bad for them. We have so much misinformation about what's bad for us and good for us. So and, and be very clear, alcohol has toxicity. And yes, there's a and everybody knows this. The effects of one sip of wine is one thing. The effects of one glass of wine is another thing. Two glasses of wine, another thing. One bottle of wine, another thing. Two bottles of wine. So it's a dose-response relationship, which everybody has an individual variation to. So can you make global you know, things about alcohol? For women, the average of some something on the order of, of a drink a day, so somewhere between five to seven drinks a week, uh, um, is a healthy dosage of alcohol if you do well with it. It's something like a glass of wine a day or something. Okay, right. So now, that, that's a very uh, low dose. Most very people low dose. hit two or three glasses of wine. So yeah, they do. Or do two or three glasses of wine a couple of days a week, something like that. You sure. know. And again, nobody. We're not promoting drinking and driving and any of those other common sense things people were talking about in the comfort of our own home and all these other things. And of course, listening to our own body. Okay, if something makes you sick, don't do it. And that's true whether it's black beans, blueberries, or alcohol. Um, and so, so on that order is alcohol one of the most proven interventions? And this is important in the right setting, even for preventing breast cancer. Because be very clear, it's the the entire diet that prevents breast cancer, and and no, nobody's going out to you and wants you to drink, a, um, you know, Coors Light at Taco Bell. I don't think that's healthy for anybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, but picking on all these poor brand names, uh, you know, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an enculturation where we enjoy our meals, we eat organically, and we enjoy these things, right? The um, so on that order. So that's the to me the context of it because people are raised and you know this. You know, I live next to, in a college town, and yeah, these there's kids out there that put alcohol in their tampons. They put it in their butt. <laughs> they're vaping it and and why why do we do such stupid things because the beauty of having a drink is enjoying the whole process right it's the ritual and the 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 whole part of it and drinking it slowly and enjoying the taste if you enjoy these things mind you and so so on that order as far as that goes why would you put it in your butt (laughs) i'm sorry but they're doing that because we have culture of fear okay it's the same reason you get a mammogram is why a college student puts it in their tampons okay it's (laughs) I really it's, like to, you know. Wait, what are we talking about? Putting the tampons, like is, I'm dousing uh, my tampon with like some vodka and I shoot it up what, there. That's what gals are doing. They're killing what? themselves doing what this What do you stuff mean? Too. Wait, okay, so Absolutely. that's hilarious. That part, first of all, that's frightening and hilarious. Can you please tell me yeah. what that's about? I never even heard that. So let's talk about that yeah, for a minute. They're trying to get alcohol. You know, they're trying to not avoid being caught, okay, because they're underage, okay, they're earlier than 21. We have this idiotic taboo of not drinking until 21. We can fight and die for our country at 18, but not drink until 21. Think about it, people, not brilliant. And, you know, and so, so on that order, the, you know, this fear of alcohol that you're not, you don't have the ability to make a rational decision. A lot of kids don't make rational decisions because they're grow, grow up being afraid of it and they have a chance to do it and they do the stupidest things with it and they kill themselves or they kill others with it. Uh, all this has to do with the enculturation that we're trying to avoid that alcohol is inherently bad for you. Can alcohol have side effects and problems? Yes. But, but and yes, everybody out there is being told that, that alcohol causes breast cancer and there are trials that indicate that's true. So that's when I said on the slide below that, um, you know, slide eight or nine, um, slide eight, that 
The literature is everywhere, okay? But one thing is unequivocal that five to seven drinks a week for somebody who tolerates it is one of the most life-promoting things a woman can do. So why is there an organization trying to shorten women's lifespans by recommending them not drinking alcohol? Because they're focusing on the equivocal literature on the breast, not the unequivocal literature on the woman. Right. We're going back to treating the actual thing versus the whole person, yeah. We're looking at breasts and we're not looking at women, which is like we used to look at uteruses and not women and all the other things. It's such a horrible approach because it's not holistic at all. So is it a good advice at any, you know, to listen to your body and something on the order for women, five to seven drinks for men, seven to 14 drinks. So, um, you know, then uh, is that a healthy behavior? And the answer is yes, if you do well with it. I know that's a caveat. And it takes in personal responsibility. Gosh forbid we should ever, you know, take personal responsibility. That's why you know me. I always say nutrition treats people and not diseases, okay? So this alcohol thing is, again, it can be a wonderful, healthy thing if it's a wonderful, healthy thing for you, meaning you enjoy your glass of wine with friends at a good dinner. That is as healthy a thing as you can probably do, okay? If you do well with it, okay, I cannot emphasize that one enough. But, you know, I'd say the same thing. If you eat blueberries and feel good, that's an awesome food. But if you eat blueberries and you felt bad, why would you eat blueberries, okay? Because blueberries are inherently good for you from my perspective. Right, and I'm not going to keep eating them just because they're healthy for me if they're making me have a stomach ache. Right, exactly, yeah. But you don't want anybody in the world saying blueberries are inherently bad for you. You know, we face the same thing in in the meat world of paleo, right? Everybody's being told that meat is inherently bad for you, which is biologically and everything other ways completely inaccurate however it's partly true because processed meats are not good for you we talk about the types of meat or the types of alcohol and there are now great options out there and you know anyone interested who drinks wine dry farm wines you know, less than a gram of sugar per liter and, um, you Those know, things clean. Awesome, right? And again, as long as you enjoy them, but no matter what kind of wine, if you say, gosh, I, it's a good wine and I still get a headache every time I drink it for gosh sakes, don't eat it. But, and same thing goes, if you eat grass fed beef and you feel sick, don't eat it. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a, that's right. the easiest decision in the world to make. But so many people out there are not eating meat because they hear it's wrong for them, which is medically, scientifically, in every other way inaccurate. It's only partially true because nobody wants to eat a ballpark Frank or whatever, you know, and, you know. Well, you know, and it's pro- the same thing with the fat being bad is true. It's, um, I had someone ask me the other day, they said, hey, how do I, what do I tell people that are still entrenched in the old paradigm of thinking fat is bad? And I'm like, well, you know, the one thing is, is that uh, saturated fat could be bad in the presence of a high carb diet, but, but, but not in, but, but in the absence of no. So again, it's just, you know, the parameters within each Example. Absolutely. And so, and as you know, I'm obviously, you know, passionate about these things as far as that goes, but there's so much misinformation now. And that's why what you do is so important trying to at least, because people are often going to have to hear whether it's fat or it's meat or it's alcohol. They're going to have to find, wow, there's people feel differently about this. Yay. Because in medicine, by the way, Elle, every time there's been a consensus by any of the organizations, it's been wrong. Okay. So once people (laughs) say, I know the answer, you run from them. Okay. So I know that scientifically alcohol has the potential to be healthy, but the end decision is always going to be in you. Okay. Don't avoid it because it's bad for you scientifically inaccurate okay um however if you don't do well with it don't do it just because somebody says it's good for you either okay because that's my point is it's potentially good for you and same thing goes for coffee same thing goes for anything we ever talk about right you know and so you know you love paddleboarding well in the world is drowned one day paddleboarding and they go they 
put a vendetta about anti-paddleboarding, you know, and, and that would be... <laughs> oh, I'm sure the surfers would love that. They're very... <laughs> See, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I bet somebody could do that because it's one of the side effects of paddleboarding or surfing drowning. And I'm sure it's happened somewhere, right? You know, and but that's a horrible piece of evidence to go around and tell everybody not to go paddleboarding, right? So, so there's potential negatives to everything in the world as healthy as surfing and paddleboarding and all these things are. We all know that there's some risks with them, right? And so going back to this, the when people have a world of misinformation that they think there's some consensus that I shouldn't do hormone therapy and menopause. There is actually no consensus, and it's wrong to say you shouldn't do it, but it's also wrong to tell every woman they have to do it, right? Right. And I know I know women who have done both, have gone both arounds and doing great on hormones over here and someone doing great without hormones over here, so... Exactly. And like we were talking about even with a mammogram, I don't, I'm not trying to ban them for all women before 60. I'm just saying, listen, the scientific evidence doesn't support the doctors telling you to do all this stuff. However, if you just go inherently within you, you have, and you know how much into meditative states, you, you go into a quiet place and you just say, gosh, I want to keep getting mammograms. Something tells me it's the right thing for me do it because we're not trying to go prohibition mammogram, right? It doesn't work. And, and it's not what we're talking about. However, the idea that you have to get them or it's even healthy most of the times because many or again, many, it's very possible many other European countries are going to go away from entirely away from screening mammograms, which I think, I think is wrong. But you know what? Here's the deal, L. I might be wrong. We maybe should stop doing all screening mammograms, but I still think it's after the age of, worthwhile after the age of 60 every two years. But this goes into our approaches is that the, your your audience is, is doing so much to be healthy. They're going organic. They're taking vitamin D. They're getting everything tested. At least I hope they are. And they're correcting their homocysteines. They're looking for inflammation. And all the things you did, you know, you know, f- to help you and your breasts be healthy, because obviously, if your breasts are happy, ha- happy breasts, happy, happy, happy the rest. I don't know. I'm trying to. <laughs> no, that's good. One. <laughs> yeah, you know, but if your breasts are happier, you're going to be happier too, of course. And so, um, and so, so on that order, that those are good things, of course. And so, but you found that maybe doing some things like the systemic enzymes was probably better for your breasts than some other stuff, because each woman, if they have a breast issue, if they have an imbalance, if they see a functional doctor, they go, "Wow, I need." Need fish oils. I need systemic enzymes. I need to treat my homocysteine. I need to take vitamin D. I find out that I have a pre-existing adrenal or thyroid problem, like we've talked so much about. I treat that, and my breasts are healthy. And you realize your breast was there to tell you, not to have you fear of it about being a disease. And this is the looking on this. Your breasts are there to help you. They're these wonderful, beautiful organs. And I go, most women don't feel that way about their breasts. You know, I've been doing this a long time. Very rarely do I see a woman who's happy with her breasts. They're either too large, too small, too whatever, okay? And that's that, again, is this thing about this diseaseification. It's a word I use where women are taught that these are things just diseases waited to be happen or they're not pretty enough or whatever else. God, gals, love your breasts. They're so awesome. I, I, I really do believe guys are bigger fans than you are. Um, and so, um, and, and, but yeah, guys are putting more love towards our breasts than our own women are putting towards their own breasts. <laughs> we should adopt, if, if we should adopt you, your you attitude. Love your breasts as much as the guys do. I promise you there would be less breast cancer. Um, <laughs> well, and on that, and on that note, we'll wrap it up. 
And on that note, we'll we'll wrap it up because I could talk to you for five hours and we, we won't go on too much here. But on that note, after we get off this podcast, don't think I'm not going to go look for some Jack Daniels tampons because I totally know. <laughs> I'm still going to be laughing all day about the fact that people are shooting that up there. I, I mean, especially alcohol. I understand even like other drugs. But that's yeah, just... Exactly. Uh, what an interesting delivery system. Yes. Um, yeah, I might be on the internet for 30 minutes looking into that one. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's great. Seriously, well, thank people you. are vaping alcohol, Ella. I mean, seriously, you know, they're not. That's so they're weird. just trying to get hot. And, and by the way, that's really toxic. Okay. So, um, uh, they get super high alcohol levels that can kill them. And so, um, so anyways, but that's, as you know, the message really for me, Elle, is that everybody should learn to again, love themselves a little bit more, focus on this prevention from a healthy lifestyle, not necessarily from a bunch of tests, get tests if it's inherently correct for you though. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to put all these links, the link to the PDF you're talking about, this PowerPoint presentation on breast health uh, and diagnosis and treatment. And then also we'll put the A4M website up there in Primal Docs so that people can start to look for the right practitioners as well. That'd be great. I would really, and I really appreciate you so much, Elle. And, you know, and it's, like I said, even with the alcohol thing, it's just one of those things where you individually have to make sure yourself, no, it doesn't feel right in my body. And for a lot of people, it doesn't. So listen to yourselves. Um, not, again, it's so important to everybody to learn. They they are the best physicians. And, you know, I keep telling everybody this. You really are supposed to be your best physician from the standpoint of how you exercise and how you manage stress and how you eat. And if you really take that on, you will find you need to go to the doctor so little. <laughs> um, and you'll only go there when you actually have a disease, which is going to happen sometimes, even when you take great care of yourself, okay? Um, so and, and that's what you're so good at promoting is getting people to be their own physician. And that, that's what I hope I can promote as well. Thank you so much. We will have you back again. We're going to do a couple more podcasts. Um, and thank you so much. Have a great day. I look forward to it. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a Primal Health Coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs Primal Health Coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.